Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast, episode 10, Joseph. On this episode of Message to Kings, guest speakers Joseph Roscoe and Julie Morimoto will be speaking about Joseph, the son of Jacob. Over a year ago, my family and I went to Branson, Missouri to visit the Ozarks, and one of the things on our list was to go to Sight and Sound Theater to see the production of Joseph. If you've never been to Sight and Sound Theater, it's a Christian theater production company based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and they have another one in Branson, Missouri. Sight and Sound puts on Christian Bible-based plays that are world-class, and not only are they great stories from the Bible and or biblical history, but in addition, technically they are extremely good. So if you're ever in Branson, Missouri or Lancaster, Pennsylvania, go to Sight and Sound Theater. It would be worth it. So when we went to Branson, we went to see Joseph. And after the show, we met Joseph Roscoe, the main actor of the show. Ever since, we've kept in touch with each other and worked on different projects together. And as I was looking ahead with future episodes of Message to Kings, I knew there was only one person that could explain the life of Joseph in the Bible, in the death and with the life application, and this was Joseph Roscoe. Joseph has uh, graciously agreed to do this podcast, and he's also asked Julie Morimoto, a fellow actor, who plays the character of Azanath, the future wife of Joseph in the Bible. At the time of this publication, Joseph is on a mission trip in Ireland. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to follow his ministry on Facebook and see the great things they are doing. His ministry is called Mission Theater Seekers of His Light. You can search for it, M-T space S-O-H-L. Hey, this is Joe Roscoe. And Julie Morimoto. And we're here to talk about the story of Joseph found in Genesis. Uh, We want to call this uh, podcast A Life Lived by All because Joseph's story is one that can be related to by pretty much anyone. Our friend Brett, who uh, started Message to the Kings, asked us to do this podcast because right now uh, Julie and I are professional actors that are in Missouri doing a show called Joseph. Not the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, but a story that's more biblically based. And uh, we just want to talk to you guys a little bit about the story and also some cool historical facts that relate to the story of Joseph. A lot of people know the story of Joseph by just a boy who started out with having two dreams about his brothers bowing down to him. But the story of Joseph goes back before just those dreams. In Genesis chapter 29, Julie's going to share some... uh, information about what all went on before the dreams. Genesis chapter 29, verse 18, it tells us, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to Laban, I'll work for you seven years in return for your daughter, Rachel. In verse 20, it tells us that Jacob served those seven years to get Rachel, but it seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. (laughs) Laban, when he had served his seven years, Laban actually sent Leah to marry Jacob instead of Rachel, not knowing until the next morning. So Laban had betrayed him. In verse 27 of that chapter, 
It tells us that Laban said, you may also have Rachel only if you promise to serve another seven years. So altogether, he served Laban 14 years and eventually married his love, Rachel. So we already know at the start that he loved Rachel and he did not love Leah. In Genesis 30, we learn that Rachel was barren for many years. And by the time that she actually became pregnant with Joseph, Leah had already bore Jacob six sons and a daughter. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Dinah, the daughter. Leah's maidservant um, bore Jacob, Gad, and Asher, and Rachel's maidservant already bore Jacob, Dan, and Naphtali. In Genesis chapter 30, verses 22 through 24, it says, Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. So she named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. In Genesis chapter 32 and 33, we learn that Jacob is reunited with his brother Esau. Now, Jacob didn't know what this greeting was going to be like. All he knew is that Esau was going to be there with 400 men behind him. So Jacob prepared for the worst. And he placed his family in an order that's very significant for the story of Joseph. First, he put his maidservants and their sons. Second, Leah and her sons. And last, he put Joseph and Rachel. This has great importance because it shows uh, Jacob's preference for Joseph and Rachel. And if Esau did decide to go to battle with them, he would most likely destroy the first groups, giving the later groups a chance to escape. Basically, what Julie's saying is Jacob was showing up expecting Esau to be uh, pretty ticked off and most likely having plans to kill all of them. So by putting Rachel and Joseph at the back of the line, it gave them a chance to get on out of there if Esau started to uh, release his army. Thanks for that, Joe. A nice recap. Appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I'm here for what I'm here for. Jumping down to Genesis chapter 35, where Jacob and the family returned back to Bethel. And Bethel is the first place where um, the Lord spoke to Jacob, telling him, showing him the stairway to heaven. So now we're back in Bethel, and the Lord tells him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. That's Genesis 35, verses 11 and 12 says, the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. I will give this land to your descendants after you. I think what Julie just shared is kind of ironic because of how Jacob betrayed his own brother Esau when he took the blessing from Isaac, their father. Did kind of a, it's kind of a silly, laughable trick that he would go into his blinding father's tent and put, you know, animal fur on his arms to make his arms hairy, kind of like his brother Esau. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you just rewind a little bit in Genesis to, to read about it. But he takes his blessing from his brother, basically. So what I'm wanting to say here is just that Jacob didn't live a perfect life, but yet God was merciful enough and gracious enough to promise him all these great things. Uh, a nation, you know, kings would come from him. But at the same time, it wasn't given to him automatically. There are much uh, struggles to come as we uh, further on in the story with Jacob and Joseph. Nice touch with the hairy arms. I do it. I <laughs> Moving on. After God spoke to Abraham again at Bethel, telling him of the prophecies that kings will come from his family, they traveled back to Canaan, which is the land that God had promised him and his descendants. And Rachel was with child at the time and began to go into labor. 
Chapter 35, verse 17 says, As she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have another son. Verse 18 says, As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, meaning son of my sorrow. But his father named him Benjamin, meaning son of the right hand, or son of the south. Soon after Rachel's death, Jacob and the family traveled back to Canaan where Isaac, Jacob's father, was, and he soon passed away. And here's where we catch up with our story of Joseph, starting in Genesis chapters 37 and then 39 through 50. So there's 13 chapters of Genesis dedicated to the story of Joseph. Take it away, Joe. So this is a story that I pretty much go through every day at work, uh, twice a day. What's it been now, Julie? It's got to be two years now, almost 400 performances or more. I'm sure more more than that. Probably more than that. So, uh, you know, the story is definitely a part of me and and living in in me. And I think it's funny that my name is uh, Joseph also. I joke with people and say that if I played another role that I would get confused on stage because I don't think that... I would have the mental capacity to understand that just because they weren't calling me by my real name, that that didn't mean they weren't talking to me. So the only reason I got the job was because my name was the same. Oh, God. <laughs> but uh, Genesis chapter 37, Joseph's dreams. Joseph, as we covered, was Jacob's favorite due to him being the first son from Rachel, his uh, truly loved wife. And uh, Joseph was 17 at the time, and he often tended to Jacob's flocks. Uh, You call him a shepherd. Uh, He was uh, an artistic kid, you know, a smart boy. He was very gifted. And uh, not only was he the favorite, and it was, you know, obvious enough, but Jacob kind of made a flashing sign that Joseph was his favorite by giving him a multicolored coat. And so not only was he the favorite, but he had this flashing symbol that he was the favorite, which was not very favored, per se, to his other ten brothers, who were highly jealous of Joseph. What some people think is that, you know, Joseph was this victim, and that these ten brothers were these barbarians that were jealous men who uh, threw, jo- threw Joseph into this pit and sold him to slavery. But really, you know, Joseph was 17, and you could think that perhaps Joseph was a little naive when he shared these dreams. You know, nowadays we say you just have to know when to keep your mouth closed. And I feel like Joseph could have been taught that lesson and perhaps saved himself a lot of uh, trials and uh, troubles throughout his life. I'm going to give you some scripture to back up what Joe said. Thank so, you, thank uh, you. <laughs> uh, it actually says that the brothers became angry because Joseph returned home and gave his father a bad report about what they were doing. And then um, Genesis 37 verse 3, it says, Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his brothers because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe. Verse 4, When the brothers saw Jacob's love for him, they hated him and could not say a kind word to him. So not only did he have the coat, like Julie read, but he was a tattletale. So the kid kind of was bringing it on himself a little bit, too. And you could also go to Jacob on how he showed favoritism and how he, you know, had to have obviously known that he wasn't setting his son up with success with his relationship with his fellow brothers. So not only did all this happen, but now Joseph has a dream. 
In verse 5 of 37, it says, One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around me and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So Joseph, you know, is this naive boy, and how could you not know that this was just going to dig you, you know, a deeper grave with your brothers by not only, obviously they don't like you, and now you're going to say, hey guys, I had this dream, and you all bowed down to me. Isn't that cool? Maybe he was just messing with them because he was sick of it. Maybe he started playing back. I think that's a stretch, Julie. I think that. I don't know. I it was think... a losing battle when we entered the world. <laughs> Anyways, these bundles of grain that were tied up, you know, Joseph had this dream that he stood up, or in, or in other uh, references, it says he was raised up, he was lifted up. So basically, he was higher than his brothers, and his brothers bowed down to him. So once again, now we read again that Joseph still hasn't learned his lesson. And in verse 9, he has another dream. Does he keep it to himself or maybe just have it between him and God? Like, God, this is awesome. This is so cool. I'm going to hold on to this dream and I'm going to believe in you. No, he's going to go to his brothers and uh, his father eventually and tell them about the second dream. In verse 9, it says, Soon Joseph had another dream and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. Verse 10, this time... He told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Would your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Now, in this case, if anyone were to know that a dream from God is a big deal and one that you should listen to, it would be Jacob, especially him having his dream with the stairs to heaven. But, you know, being a human being and having pride as a father and hearing that you're going to bow down to your son, Jacob didn't take it so well and uh, rebuked his son and um, kind of joined in with the brothers on uh, not necessarily being on Joseph's side. Now, as I went on in the past talking about how Joseph just kept rattling on and on about his dreams or perhaps not behaving in such a way that would help himself out with his brothers... I just want to stop and say how when we're talking about the topic of a life lived by all, you know, we have to grow up in the Lord. We have to grow up in ourselves. And Joseph wasn't born as Zaphnath Paneah, you know, the savior of the world. He was born as a young man with many talents, but they weren't sharpened yet. This story that we're reading right now in uh, chapter 37 is definitely showing us that there's many things to be sharpened and to be made strong through trials and tribulations. This is definitely the case for Joseph. So next we're going to go on to Joseph going out to the fields to find his brothers where he uh, comes to the fortunate event of being sold into slavery. So Jacob sends Joseph to Shechem where his brothers are supposed to be out in the fields working. And as Joseph is approaching, his brothers see him from a distance and where they see him is in a place called Dothan. So the brothers start to plot a way to get rid of Joseph. And basically what they come up with is a plan to kill him. In uh, chapter 37, 
Verse 19, it says, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, or a pit, you could also call it, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Verse 21 says, When Reuben heard this, Reuben being the oldest brother, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said, uh, Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So Reuben actually, you know, was showing a little bit of heart here in the story. Like uh, I said before, most people see the brothers as these Neanderthals who just were vicious men that killed Joseph and did, did these awful things. But, you know, Reuben's showing some, uh, you know, some feelings when you say Julie he's got a little soft spot right yeah yeah he's not as uh barbaric as one would what one would say he's being a little bit uh sentimental here yeah so he bails Joseph out and they say they agree with him they say all right we'll throw him in the cistern so they do but while the uh Joseph's in there there's Ishmaelite traders that start to approach uh you can read that in verse 25 of chapter 37 and all of a sudden they come come up with this brilliant idea from Judah, Judah being uh, probably considered the wisest of the brothers. He ends up uh, selling Joseph for 20 shekels to the Ishmaelite traders. And this is where Joseph sold into slavery and eventually finds himself in Potiphar's palace as one of his servants. So this all sounds pretty bad, but God had a plan and we can relate that uh, to our lives always, you know, you're like, why is this happening, God? And uh, little do we know, God always has a plan, and it's to prosper us and to give us hope in a future like we read in Jeremiah. So as Joseph is at Potiphar's palace, he finds great favor with Potiphar because, like I said before, Joseph had many tools, and as he goes on with his life, God continues to sharpen them. And with that, he found great favor in Potiphar, and became his attendant. You could read that in chapter 39, verse 4. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Everything. A little background on Potiphar for you history buffs out there. Potiphar was captain of the guard, or more literally, the captain of the executioners. He was a high officer of Pharaoh. In this position, Potiphar supervised the wardens of the prison in Egypt and was responsible for carrying out Pharaoh's sentences, including executions. So that's just a little side note in history on Potiphar. Going on in verse 5, From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptians because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field. Oh, that's my turn. Egyptians were um, very religious people. So before this, oh. I was like, all right, Julie, so I'm going to read verse 5. And she's like, okay, I'll chime in. I don't like introduce me. I didn't because, know it was time to chime in. All right, chime in. Go ahead. Okay, anyways, the Egyptians were very religious people. They we're were keeping very, that, by the way. They were don't morally, edit it out. Okay. All right, go back. Start again. The all right, Egyptians. everyone listening out there? Oh, my word. Okay, here we go. I would like to highlight something that Joseph... Joseph. That's my name. <laughs> that Joe talked about in chapter 39, <laughs> verse 5. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and the field, 
and the blessing of the Lord was on everything that he had because of that. Now, some Egyptian history, they believed in the afterlife, paradise was to be able to grow crops for eternity so and, and flourish in that. So the fact that Joseph was able to accomplish that on earth was a way that God could reveal his glory to a people that knew nothing of him. So moving on to the part of the story that most of the people know besides the dreams is that Joseph was accused of adultery, committing that sin with Potiphar's wife. Later in verse 6 of 39, you read, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, so Joseph was jacked. He was, he was in Gold's Gym in Egypt every day, yes. pumping the iron. Then he had a... a uh, Another membership at Anytime Fitness so he could go at midnight with his key tag and, uh, you know, lift some barley and all that. So going back, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. So maybe Joseph played it dumb at first and said, what, are, are you tired? Do you need me to make your bed? You know, <laughs> I'm your servant, like, uh. Are your sheets not clean? Should I, should I go wash them? That's probably not anything that happened. But anyways, going on, he refused because he was a man of God. He was a man after God's own heart. I want to chime in right here and yeah. talk about marriage historically from an Egyptian perspective. The Egyptians married one partner for life. And there was actually a marriage ceremony and there was an exchanging of rings, much like we do. So um, the fact that she is coming on to another man is um, really looked down upon in Egyptian culture and because they're very morally sound, much like Christians are. And I'm done. That's okay. cool. That's cool that so long ago they were doing a ritual that we do now. I wonder if we got that from them. Or Probably. If it's, or perhaps that tradition was carried on to another country that was carried on to another. Who knows? So going on, she <clears throat> started to plot out, you know, you know, how can I make this happen? Because she was a evil woman. Something funny, though, in our show, not funny, but interesting, is that we kind of play it sometimes that Potiphar is so interested in his work and in the violence and the manhood of his life that he kind of neglects Lady Potiphar. And she sees how special Joseph is and is just longing for some type of love and attention. Well, that could be true because she is a real person. However, in the culture, it was still sinful. Oh, sin is sin. No yeah, doubt. Yeah, even to the Egyptians. I was just trying to plug in, you know. Well, I'm just an putting artist, another perspective an, art, an artistic choice we use in the show sometimes. Anyways, going on, <laughs> Joseph finds himself alone in the palace with no other servants around. And in verse 12, it says, She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. That's an interesting way of putting it. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. So skipping on, Potiphar shows up and his wife, Lady Potiphar, has this coat in her hands and has this uh, evidence, which we, which we know is not to be true, this evidence that Joseph basically tried to rape Lady Potiphar. So through this, Joseph was condemned to a life in prison where he then 
once again used his gift of dreams through God to interpret dreams of a cupbearer and a baker. So at the end of chapter 40 and going on into 41, you find that Joseph meets the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. And they had two peculiar dreams, and Joseph interprets both of them, one leading to the baker's death and the other leading to the cupbearer's restoration of his job, which soon leads to Joseph being taken out of prison to interpret two dreams that the Pharaoh has continually been having about seven prosperous cows that keep getting eaten up by seven frail cows and seven full, healthy uh, bundles of grain that keep getting swallowed up by frail seven bundles of grain. And Joseph says that there's going to be seven years of prosperity to come to Egypt, but there will also be seven years of famine to, to follow. And Joseph comes up with a plan to save a fifth of the harvest so that the next seven years of the famine, they'll have plenty of food to survive. Through that, the Pharaoh deems Joseph Zaphnath Paneah. And you find that in chapter 41, verse 45. Joseph, like I said, was called Zaphnath Paneah. And uh, what you read here is Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath Paneah and gave him Azanath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Potiphera, priest of On, or Ra. Ra is the sun god, and he basically is deity all over Egypt. He stood for the rising sun, life, rebirth, children, health, anything. He was pretty much the center of life for the Egyptians. And so Potiphera, as the high priest of the sun god Ra, was Egyptian royalty. Serving at the temple of Ra as the high priest, which was the center of everything uh, Egyptian, all culture and religion. Potiphera is the father of Azanath, and her name means she belongs to Neith. Neith is a goddess, and royal women in Egypt often named themselves after Neith because she was the goddess of war and also basket weaving. So as a goddess of weaving and the domestic arts, she was a protectress of women and a guardian of marriage. And that's you in the show. That is me. As an app, Joseph's wife. Yes, that's why I've gathered all of this research for the show and for my character. And women in Egypt, I might just add this, unlike Hebrew culture, were very respected and they were able to hold jobs and have opinions in the workplace or in the household. And, and the Hebrews were not. They, they cooked and cleaned and tended the children. Huh. So it's probably an adjustment for both of them in Interesting. marriage. That's right. That's right. Is there anything you want to add on Azanath or maybe like Egyptian culture, anything other, <laughs> any other like Egyptian things? Yes, actually I do. Other than the Bible, there is not much historical evidence of Joseph's role in Egypt. However, on an Egyptian timeline, there is a period called the Hyksos period, and that is where there were rulers from foreign lands. And that falls along the same timeline as Joseph's rule. So many people believe that those that Joseph might have started that period. Mm -hmm. That's good right there. It is good. That's good. Brett, that's why you're, you made this whole podcast, Message of the Kings, talking about biblical history and then history of the world. And uh, that's really cool, you know, when you're trying to minister to someone that's just really literal 
you know, maybe someone that's highly intelligent and their faith is weak because they need an explanation to everything. And you could say, well, you know what? This story in Genesis about Joseph, there was a period in time called Hyksos in Egyptian times where foreign leaders were leading the land uh, of Egypt. So there's some literal background to back up these biblical stories. It's actually extremely interesting if you want to look into it more. There's a lot of proof that can back that up. Now moving on to the next, basically into the 8th through the 14th year. So the 1 through 7 of the prosperity has come about. Everything that Joseph predicted did come to fruition. And now we're in the famine and the brothers come to Egypt to seek food. And in verse 9 of uh, 42 you read then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them you are spies you have come to see what our land where our land is unprotected no my lord they answered your servants have come to buy food we are all the sons of one man your servants are honest men not spies so as they're talking to Joseph if you read before that it says that they did not recognize him Obviously, Joseph does. You read that in verse uh, 8, just before that. So they're begging for food, and Joseph is like, wow, can you imagine after all these years, you know, thinking, wondering what came of your father, of your brother Benjamin, and then the other ten brothers, and then all of a sudden, they're right at your doorstep asking for, for food. So Joseph decides to give them the grain that they, they sought after, but in each bag, they put their, their money that they paid the, the fee for the grain back in the bags as a kind of a test, pretty much the first test that Joseph does on his brothers. So when he sends them back, he doesn't send all of them back. He requires one of them to stay behind in prison. And you find that in verse 24. At the end of that verse, you read, He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. And there was no doubt about it that there was a reason behind bounding and binding up Simeon because Joseph remembers him as probably the most evil of all the brothers, the most violent, the most heartless. Would you agree, Julie? Yes. So if anyone was to learn a lesson, even though obviously all ten of them had huge lessons to learn, Joseph decided that Simeon would pay the ultimate price and stay behind in prison. Well, Simeon was also the one that, well, this is totally going off subject, but Dinah, their only sister, Simeon was the leader of the group that went to the Shechemites and had all the men killed. Yeah, there was this nasty story about, you know, yeah, if you all get circumcised, then you're cool with us. And then as they're recovering, the brothers come down the hill and just slaughter all of them. And then plunder their land, take all their women and all their children and all of their flocks and everything. Well, that's something you all can have a homework assignment and read on your own. <laughs> so, moving on to... I'm getting excited. We're getting almost to the end here. Talking about in verse 25, he gave back the sacks of grain, but in each man's sack he put the silver back. So when they came back to their land, to Jacob, they all realized, oh no, not only did we not make a good impression on Zaphnath paneah but all of our money is still in our grain bags. So they're kind of, you know, freaking out about that. So when we skip to 43, they've run out of uh, grain and Jacob wants them to go back 
and get some more grain. And he gives them more money and says to be honest with Zaphnath Paneah to make things right about the money that was still in their grain. But when Joseph sent them away, he said, the only way you could ever come back here, get your brother Simeon and ever get food here again is if you bring back your youngest brother, Benjamin. Because on their first journey back, Benjamin was not there. In verse 8 of 43, we read about Judah pleading with Jacob because Benjamin was, once again, Jacob's favorite now that Joseph had unknowingly, you know, survived, but he thinks Joseph's dead. So Benjamin's the only one that remains from Rachel, his second wife, who he loved the most. So Judah, in an act to get Benjamin to be allowed to go with them to Egypt, he says to his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once. We and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. So Judah's like, come on, time's running out. We're about to die from this famine. In 13, you read, Take your brother also and go back to the man at once, and may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So Jacob lets them to come back. They go back to Egypt. They say, we're sorry about the money. We didn't know about it. Here's the money to make up for it. Joseph says, it's all good. So Joseph has these tests in mind. So the first test, once they're back, is that he supplies them with a huge supper. And when he's serving the supper, he gives Benjamin an exceedingly amount of food in comparison to the other brothers. That's in chapter 43, verse 34. It says, When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. So Joseph has a test in mind where he's going to load up the bags for the brothers to take all this food home. But in the youngest brother's bag, he's going to put his silver cup in it. And you can read this in Genesis chapter 44. So as they're leaving, Joseph demands for them to stop and says that one of you has taken my cup. They search the bags and they find the cup in Benjamin's bag. And when Joseph pretends to realize this, he says, all of you must leave and this youngest brother is going to stay here with me. And when he says that, Judah, having pledged his life for the boy to Jacob, stops Joseph and says in verse 18 through basically the end of the chapter, he has this long speech to Joseph about, you know, please don't do this. If you skip to 30, it says, So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servant will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Verse 33. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. That was Genesis 44, verses 30 through 34. So this is it, the moment that 
you listeners are waiting for and the moment that the audience when they're watching our show is waiting for. When is Joseph going to tell his brothers that it's him? And this is when he does it. He reveals himself to his brothers and, and lets them know that it's their brother Joseph who they threw in the pit years and years ago. And Joseph was so overwhelmed that as you read in the scriptures, it's said that he cried so loud that all of Egypt could hear. In uh, verse 14, it says, Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. And as you continue to read on, Pharaoh overhears of this uh, news and tells Joseph to give the brothers all the good uh, food and things of the land and to put them in carts for them to return to Canaan to uh, get their, their father Jacob so that he can return and live off the land of Egypt for the rest of their lives. And this is exactly what Joseph does. He sends his brothers off and they eventually return and you read about that in chapter 46. Okay, in Genesis chapter 46, Jacob goes to Egypt. In this chapter is the genealogy. <laughs> Keep that, don't cut it. In this chapter is the genealogy list of everyone that was in Egypt at the time. Some interesting research that I found about Asnath is that she is the only one of the wives that is included in the genealogy. And so um, some research that I found uh, and some scholars believe that she's actually a descendant of Jacob and Abraham and that she might possibly be the daughter of Dinah from the house of Israel. Um, a book from early Christianity, the apocryphal book, named Joseph and Asnath, which was highly respected by Christians at the time. The author hints at knowing her true lineage and talks about her possibly being from the line of Jacob because they compare her to Sarah, uh, Rebecca, and Rachel, which are the three wives in Abraham's family. So I thought that was very interesting. I think it's really cool. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. So the brothers leave, and they indeed do come back with Jacob. In the middle of chapter 47, uh, verse 5, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. So he does this, uh, Joseph brings his father to the Pharaoh, and a pretty cool thing is that Jacob actually blessed Pharaoh, and you read about that in verses 7 through 10. Pharaoh even asks uh, Jacob how old he is, and he says, The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of my pilgrimage of my father's. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So the famine continues, and there's a time where Jacob gets sick. So Jacob uh, is lying there, and Joseph brings his sons Manasseh and Ephraim to him. And we'll read about this in 48. And Julie actually has some cool info about some maybe connections to the United States and Great Britain. Uh, Manasseh is the older of the two, and when Jacob blessed them, he put Ephraim in front of Manasseh, saying that Ephraim would be the company of nations, and Manasseh would be a single great nation. And some research that I found about that was that there is, people believe that the prophecy has been fulfilled, and that the U.S. is the great single nation of Manasseh, and Great Britain is the company of nations, which would be Ephraim. There is proof that um, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh settled there in England together, and then the first immigrants to come over to America were from England. 
pretty interesting. It's pretty, pretty interesting, actually. Yeah. And uh, I remember that being something that uh, Julie first brought up to me when we were rehearsing the show, that uh, she had this info about how Ephraim and Manasseh could have had links to the two countries of America and England. Also, I just want to note that not only did uh, Jacob uh, steal Esau's blessing, then favorite Joseph and basically set up this whole thing of this family drama. But now, you know, you think he learned his lesson, and on top of it all, he screws, well, everything's meant for, for good in God's eyes, but he, you could say, screws things up again by crossing the blessing, blessing <laughs> and blessing Ephraim, this, the younger one, instead of Manasseh, the older one. So Joseph's like standing there like, what? They're both blessed. <laughs> yeah, they are both blessed, but he crosses his hands and puts the right hand on the youngest one. Right. And it's supposed to be the oldest. So yeah. I thought that was kind of like ironic that he did that. So here we are at the end of our story of Joseph, going over 13 chapters in the book of Genesis that are dedicated to the life of Joseph. And being able to be a part of the show Joseph and playing the role of Asnath, I have really enjoyed, but... Mostly what has stood out to me about the story of Joseph is that he endured so much and always kept his name. And even though he was accused of wrong and slandered and spoken poorly of, um, he stayed silent, just like Jesus did. And that's hard. That's hard for us. But thankful that his stories in the Bible as something that we can look to and look up to and try to be. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, just like we started uh, this podcast about titling it A Life Lived by All, he did go through so much and so much that all of us in our lives could have said that at one point we went through at least one of those things that he did, uh, whether it was uh, persecution, false accusations, uh, temptation, just rising above the thing that probably affects me most is in the, the jail scene. It might be a self-interpretation, but when I'm serving the the jail, the people in the jail and uh, serving the, the uh, jail warden and just continuing to be a faithful servant, it's through being a servant that Joseph continues to find hope. It's through serving God, no matter the circumstance, is where he continues to build his faith and it was obvious that God was preparing him for the thing that he was about to do in Egypt actually from the time he was born and that's just something to hold on tight to in our Christian walk is that things are going poorly you know it could be by our own doings you know we will reap what we sow but also if you feel though that you're walking the walk and keeping the faith then you just need to remain to do that and keep fighting the fight because God's preparing you for something greater in your life. And uh, that's what I love about Joseph is that he had a race to run and he went through uh, many potholes and ran up many hills, but he kept going and he kept the course. And uh, in the end, he saved the nation. And, you know, our calling in our life not be necessarily to save a nation, but it might be to lead our family. It might be to uh, lead our neighbors out from darkness. But whatever it is, just I encourage you and encourage Julie and myself and as a reminder to us to just keep fighting the fight in anything that you're doing. And God will bless you for it. And yeah, and I can't imagine Joseph at age 17 with having his father's favor 
and having these dreams that you're going to be great and people are going to bow down to you, ever thinking that he would face any of the things that he faced. And yet he still had these dreams to hold on to. And even under trial, he stayed faithful to God. I think it's his story is very similar to David's too, where their patience was almost the biggest factor in this, where he and David both were promised or prophesied over that they were going to do these awesome things, but yet it happened so young and it definitely didn't, or it was told to them so young, but it definitely didn't happen until years and years later and with many trials before then. So I think that's it. Uh, Maybe we'll be back on another podcast, but uh, Julie, you want to close us out saying goodbyes or anything like that? (laughs) Yes, actually I do. Thank you so much, Brett, for allowing me to be a part of this. I have really enjoyed working on this project with Joe, getting out all my research and digging back into the story of Joseph. Joe and I actually get to work on the show Joseph until October. So working on this project has given us a fresh perspective and really ministered to my heart. So again, thank you so much. Thanks, Brett, for having us. If you guys are listening out there, which I hope you are, keep uh, checking in to Message to the Kings. And uh, I know that I'll be doing the same. God bless you all, and uh, keep running that race. Keep the faith. Bye. God bless. Later. This concludes this episode of Message to Kings podcast. If you have any questions or you'd like to chat, please email me at messageofkings at gmail.com or search for the Message to Kings podcast Facebook page.